Welcome to McGonigal's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections. I'm KRTV KXLH anchor producer Tim McGonigal. Have you ever been told you look or sound like someone famous? Great Falls native Merle Travis Peterson took his likeness and affinity for legendary musician Johnny Cash to another level. What started in Montana as the Cold Hard Cash Show reached a peak in front of millions on David Letterman's late night TV talk show. Cold Hard Cash has since disbanded, but Peterson is still playing music. I had a chance to talk to him about growing up in Great Falls, how he became a cover artist for The Man in Black, and what he's up to these days. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Merle Travis Peterson. Very pleased to be joined by Merle Travis Peterson. Uh, that name might uh, ring a bell for some people, but uh, some people might rem remember you as part of the Cold Hard Cash show. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a big part of uh, my life for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, before we get to that, and I know that was a big part of your life, we'll talk uh, considerably about that, but uh, Great Falls is where you grew up. Talk yes, about sir. Uh, Talk about uh, your childhood and growing up and that sort of stuff. Well, I grew up just outside of town, um, down a road past what they used to call Hill 57, okay. where the, uh, the Little Shell are out there. Mm -hmm. And I rode the school bus. Uh, bus 21 with those <laughs> those kids and other kids that lived out there in the country so I guess uh, I am I consider myself a country boy yeah I grew up with a dirt road you know in front of my folks house and you know no other houses in the immediate area I could I could sing as loud as I wanted or play my guitar and didn't seem to bother anybody but uh, yeah I, I went to old Franklin school okay and then I went to West before they turned that into a middle school. Okay. And then I went to CMR. Okay. And I was, you know, always trying to jam with bands and play music with local kids. And I also was involved with uh, theater at okay. the high school and into college where I went to Missoula out of high school and uh, studied uh, acting and then English literature and history mm -hmm. at the University of Montana. Okay. So music obviously was a big yeah. part of your life. Uh, yeah. Was it always the guitar? Were there other instruments that you Well, played? I fooled around with other instruments, um, but I always ended up going back to the guitar. Um, my name, Merle Travis Peterson, I'm actually named after a, a, a pretty well-known uh, guitar player back in the olden days named Merle Travis, okay. who wrote... 16 tons and smoke 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 that cigarette and a bunch of other old country songs in the 40s and early 50s okay and so uh i got that name my grandfather was also named merle and he was a wildlife biologist for the state of montana i, I thought maybe merle came from merle haggard but well i love merle haggard and <laughs> yeah, actually he was one you, of the greatest when you come and see uh my show i'll i'll, I'll sing as many merle haggard songs as you want to hear too so yeah yeah um, and so then tell me about uh, Cold Hard Cash. That was uh, kind of yeah. the thing that kind of really turned it around for you. Well, it was... A, Put you on the map. I yeah, <laughs> absolutely. After I, I, had, I had been a music enthusiast for many years. In the early 90s, I went out to Seattle, and I would go to all the clubs and try to f see Nirvana and Pearl Jam, and, mm -hmm. you know, it was an exciting time. But I was always just sort of... It, it never seemed like... You know, that was what, what I was going to do with my life. I studied to be a school teacher. Okay. Um, I loved playing music, but um, I, never, I never really went after it in a very serious way. And then 
when I got out of college, the idea was to become a school teacher. Okay. Well, when I got out about 2000, there just didn't happen to be a lot of jobs. I didn't want to have to move out of state. I stuck around and eventually um, started playing with people and I had this idea because I had seen tribute bands. Okay. Um, where you could dress up like the Beatles or Elvis and you could do that and other groups. And I thought, you know, I used to sing a lot at uh, house parties in college. I used to uh, play in bar bands. And whenever I did a Johnny Cash song, I always got this terrific, uh, very great reaction from people. Um, and they liked all the other things, but that especially did it. And I thought to myself, you know, if I just dressed up, <laughs> you know, dyed my hair black, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, carried myself around in sort of this, uh, you know, surly, dark sort of way, I might be able to pull this off. <laughs> and this would be a fun thing, and I could probably, you know, make a little money doing this. But I didn't have any terrific expectations. My bands started playing around the time that the Joaquin Phoenix Reese Witherspoon movie okay. yeah. came out. Right. And so that movie turned out to be a great help for us because it gave people a background. It said, you know, showed them that Johnny Cash was once young and dangerous. And uh, that's what people wanted. And I guess I, I played into that. And from the very first shows, it was shocking to me, especially how, how many people would try to come see us. And how, how uh, surprising that was, you know, to to me especially. But um, and after about eighteen months of doing that, eventually David Letterman saw the show. Yeah. And I didn't think anything would come of that either, other than I was flattered that he had the patience to sit there and watch the whole thing. <laughs> um, a guy like him who had seen such great music right, right in his studio yeah. for so many years that he would find what we did interesting enough to watch. That was all I really needed. Now, did, did he come to one of your oh, shows? Yeah. yeah. Where he was that did. at? Where Shoto. In Shoto, because he's a part-time yeah. resident of there. Yeah, he did. And, and, and no one would have known that. Uh, nobody made a big announcement about it. And certainly no one expected that. We were playing in their corral. Mm -hmm. that day for their fun days on July 3rd, 08. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, was, it was a few months later that I got a phone call from a gal named Sharon who worked at the Letterman Show. And I was naive enough to say, which Letterman Show? <laughs> you know. And, uh, but the, she told me that he was interested in having us on the show in, in November. And I had the hardest time wrapping my brain around it because although it was a very good show, mm -hmm. we didn't have a record label. We didn't have big booking agents trying to get us a slot on primetime television. And we wondered, we were not even, I was not at all prepared for this. We were uh, a very fun amateur band that played around in the clubs and played at the fair and stuff. Mm -hmm. But we were not at all prepared for that. We had to get prepared for that. Yeah, and yeah. then... And then just pull it off. That's mm -hmm. all we, I was concerned with. But yeah, you go ahead. I'm, I, I'm no, just, no, no. It was, a, it was a terrific time in my life. I haven't really reflected on it a yeah. lot. Because um, yeah. there was always something right in front of me yeah. from that point on that I had to 
do. Yeah. Uh, that performance was part of, uh, if I remember right, it was like a kind of a tribute band mm -hmm. week. Yeah, that, it was. That yeah. we had. And, uh, yeah. and, and I try to imagine how that came about. Did Letterman see us and then come back to his people and say, I saw this great band, I want to put them on the show. Mm -hmm. Well, let's create this whole week around that theme. Right. Or was this, where does this idea come from? Because I believe there was another band that was just amazing. And I, I, they are called Purple Rain. And they've played on the Vegas Strip for Prince, many yeah. years. That guy is uh, amazing. And I met him. I went to his show in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. and I got to meet him. And, and he recalled me and th that week. Right. But he was, I mean, he's somebody that did it for a living in Vegas for 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we got to, we had some good, good uh, really great other tributes that yeah. played that week. They they flew you out there. They yeah. put you up. They gave you the whole uh, five star royal treatment and Le <laughs> Parc Meridian. Yeah, like yeah, and a and a uh, big shuttle van that took us around and stuff. Yeah, uh -huh. in downtown New York. Yeah, talk about the uh, the day you went there to, yeah. to the show and mm -hmm. the, the you know taping the show and the, you get to meet him obviously. Well, or believe it you? or not, no, not really. Okay. Uh, I have a great picture of him thanking me and holding up <laughs> a copy of my CD. But um, he's really not that personable as far as, like, he doesn't go to his guests, okay. uh, from what I'm told. They told me before the show, he wasn't there all day for the rehearsal, first of all, and then shows up, sh would show up shortly before the show, and he wings it, and he was a genius. It was amazing to see them rehearse the show all day, and then he just drops in and just wings it. Read the cue cards, just went through the moves, and I was like, wow, what a pro. Yeah, he was, uh, and then I met him just for briefly at the end. But Carla Bruning, who was the first lady of France at the time, oh, okay. was on the show, and she was doing. They were going to play music, and they were going to broadcast it after the show, or you could look it up on their website, or or, or what, however they were doing it at the time. But she wasn't going to. She wasn't the featured musical act, although there were two acts that night. And I met this great French guitar player, and she was a delight. It was amazing to <laughs> meet like a really almost royalty, you know, mm -hmm. French uh, aristocracy or, you know, this lady was fancy. Yeah. Um, and she shook my hand and it was just like meeting an you know, angel or something. Do you remember who else was on the show that night? Yeah, uh, uh, Jack Hanna. Oh, okay. Jack that's, Hanna that's was there with his stuff. animals were behind the set <laughs> with all of our gear and guitars and there would be a raccoon in a cage and yeah. Wow. Stuff that he didn't even bring out. He wow. had a bunch of animals backstage. That's amazing. So the, the Johnny Cash, uh, w w did you always listen to him as a kid growing yeah. up? And well, the funny thing is, was what, yeah, I mean, uh, I sort of, I, I was born in 1970, and at that time, I think Johnny Cash was probably the big, one of the biggest stars in America because he had a TV show. Mm -hmm. He was iconic, had a number one album with Folsom Prison. and um, So I always grew up with him being, you know, looming and sort of seeing him on Hee Haw, Christmas specials. Sure. Things that, and my dad had a, a number of vinyl albums of his. And then one day when I was about nine or 10 years old, he said, we're gonna go to see a concert. We're gonna go to the Four Seasons and we're gonna see Johnny Cash. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, the Oak Ridge Boys opened for Johnny Cash and then I saw Johnny Cash. And from that time on, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was the first show I ever saw, so it mm -hmm. loomed above yeah. everything I subsequently saw. I've always been trying to recreate that feeling, mm -hmm. 
And I guess that's why I started my group is because in my own small way, I wanted to do the Johnny Cash show mm -hmm. that I saw somehow or try to recreate that experience for other people because it meant so much to me. You know, it was, yeah, it was, it was a landmark event. So it was life. the first show you ever saw. And I know I bet it's probably the best, the one. best one you probably yeah. ever saw. I've seen, I mean, I've seen everybody. I've yeah. seen so many great shows and there's a lot of them that get in my top five. Yeah. But that'll always be a life-changing experience, you know. Yeah. Where you see, I recall my my dad saw me watching on the stage. It's like, you know, I remember him saying, "Do you want to do that?" And he meant musician. And I was like, "Yes." And I wanted to lit literally be Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't want to be a, his side man or his, you know, guitar player. I wanted to be him. Yeah. You know, because yeah. he just. I'm the, the, the most magnetic person I've ever seen. He, he was like the epitome of cool. Oh, God. I mean, he was it a was great... the cool. And he would walk out on stage, and June Carter said, I'd like to introduce old Golden Throat, she <laughs> called him. Okay. And he walks out, and it's just like, ah, everybody just, you know, you hear a whole group of people collectively gasp mm -hmm. just at the presence of somebody. Because he, he could take the air right out of a room. Yeah, he, he, he played, obviously, country. Yeah. He played uh, yeah. gospel music. Rock music. Rock music. Yeah. I mean, and, all and, kinds yeah, of Yeah, and uh, folk. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, ultimately, it's American music that mm -hmm. he was drawn from that well. And, you know, Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family and the blues mm -hmm. and Lead Belly. And yeah. these are, he listened to old folk records that, that they had been, you know, folk revival was popular in the 50s, too. And he had his ear on that. And yeah, the uh, he was at the birth of rock and roll with Elvis Presley at Sun Studios in Memphis. Yeah. You know, Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. And his early music was considered pop music. Um, okay. I Walk the Line was a pop song. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of I Walk the Line, uh, and that was the, the movie that mm -hmm. uh, gained such critical yeah. acclaim and really brought a younger generation, Absolutely. I believe, to to appreciate Johnny Cash yeah. and uh, everything that he did, because he did have such a widespread influence over over everybody and I mean some of the yeah. musicians he helped he helped a whole slew of people yeah. Chris Christopherson yeah. the Statler brothers the Oak Ridge boys um, and many many others along the way uh, yeah he was uh, Marty Stewart wasn't Marty Stewart he, wasn't he was one of his Marty Stewart players? was in his group the yeah. night I saw him and then oh, yeah. I've subsequently opened for Marty Stewart okay and told him that I saw him yeah with Johnny Cash in 80 now, there's a guy with some great outfits. Oh, my God. He just had the coolest outfits and the greatest guitars. And I remember just hanging out backstage with his guitar player, Chris Scruggs, okay. who uh, is Earl Scruggs' grandson, who wow. was the guy that, that did the, the banjo okay. in the Beverly Hillbillies right. and really just in, invented bluegrass banjo. Yeah. And uh, to sit there and talk guitars and amps with guys like that, you know, Cousin Kenny, his other guy, mm -hmm. he plays with, and they have these fantastic rhinestone outfits. Yeah, and uh, great. Thank so, you. so you've uh, you've gone to David Letterman. This is two thousand eight, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. getting on that stage. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people in Montana around this area knew you. Yeah. Uh, up in Shoto, David Letterman saw you, sure. but uh, around here they 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 knew you. But uh, now you've got. Uh, a nationwide audience, maybe a worldwide audience that says, hey, I've this got checks from Australia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. no, I, they did broadcast it a few times around in Europe and whatnot, and you get uh, these residual checks for a few okay. hundred dollars for your appearance. 
And uh, yeah, no, I, they, they estimated a viewing audience of 18 million that night. Wow. Because this is really before the internet sure. really, and streaming, and this is mm -hmm. a wait. Yeah. And I didn't even have a, I wasn't even on Facebook <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was a, it opened things up to a larger world. And then I, we discovered that people were requesting us um, all over the country and yeah. internationally and stuff. And we had no mechanism in place to, we had no idea how to go about doing that. So uh, I proceeded to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, slowly but surely we started to venture out into the country and travel a few states here and there. Played the International Barbecue Festival in Memphis. Wow. And then we went down to Beale Street and we oh, partied and sat in with blues bands. Yeah and had an amazing uh, night. And then, I mean, we've gone to, I've got to play a lot of cool places. Mm -hmm. And then, um, after doing it for four or five years, probably on our own, we started getting offers from agencies that wanted to represent us. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one thing that that did was it opened up a lot of venues to us all over the country that require a booking agent or whatnot, the fancier places. Mm -hmm. And God, we went to Cleveland, saw the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and right. played the, the, the music box in Cleveland, and we did a lot of, we got Chicago and Boston, and you know, it was like hard rock and roll, like, a, yeah. you know, like when the way that, uh, you know, uh, it was mind-blowing, really, because it was, uh, one place after another that would lead us all the way out eventually out to New York and then down mm -hmm. to Washington. Yeah, I think you said take us down to Florida. 38 states total. Yeah, ultimately years. over the years. And I, some of the tours would last six weeks. It's a long time to be gone mm -hmm. and a long time to not be home taking care of your affairs. You yeah, know, it's sure. you, and, and the best parts of it were when we had those gigs. Um, but there's a lot of days of the week when you're on the road where there just is no gig. Yeah. And uh, the hotels and motels and the long drives, uh, you know, it's, it's, it really does drain a person's, yeah. you know, life. <laughs> I, I know when I was a kid uh, and other kids, the, the dream was always either to play center field for the New York Yankees sure, or, yeah. or be a rock star. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you get to, to do stuff. You get to do stuff you dream of. I'm standing in Sun, Sun Studios where Elvis recorded That's All Right Mama and Johnny Cash recorded I Walk the Line, mm -hmm. you know, and I bring a tear to my eye. I got to go to Johnny Cash's childhood home in Dias, Arkansas, simply because we were driving that way. And I said, look, there's a sign. Let's mm -hmm. pull over, you know. Went and saw Graceland the same day. Yeah. And, uh, had all these great experiences and then got to open up for a lot of pretty big acts in the music business, got mm -hmm. to meet a lot of famous people. Yeah. Started playing private parties in Montana by the Yellowstone Club. Oh yeah, there we go. And I met a lot of people that I'm not even supposed to talk about. <laughs> but um, I suppose I met Katy Perry. Oh, and there I you met, go. Okay. Uh, John Mayer up okay. there and a few other people. Tom Brady? I didn't meet Tom yeah. Brady, but... Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, apparently, uh, yeah, Justin Timberlake was up there okay. and enjoyed our show, yeah. I'm told. Um, and uh, God, the Hall and Oates. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I would just meet these people and they'd be like, hey, I really love Johnny Cash. I was like, 
you're hauling oats. <laughs> uh, you know? And yeah. then, yeah, Fog Hat, it opened for Fog Hat. Oh, wow. And the drummer just wanted to talk to me about how much he loved Johnny Cash. And wow. How much in the 50s, like in England, that was like the only cool record he'd heard. Uh -huh. He'd hear Johnny Cash from America and be like, this is cool. Yeah. So, but yeah. So the Cold Hard Cash show, how, how long did it go on and what, uh, God, what eventually happened? Yeah. Well, it went on for it went on for years, and it went on for uh, it started in probably oh five or six, mm -hmm. and then it went till eighteen, I think. Um, and I I knew I knew in my heart I always felt like this can't possibly last forever. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, I knew that ultimately I have a responsibility to my family and to my son. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't just my mother was taking care of my son when I would go out on the okay. road, and my father, and and you know, I, I that couldn't I didn't want to have that go on forever. I had to step up as my as a parent, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, not be gone for six weeks. And I and I, and it had worn me out. But I and I was honestly I I, I was been trying to get out, mm -hmm. but then when I find I would find that we'd have a year booked oh wow and that if i wanted out then i'd end up owing people money that they paid in deposits and uh yeah i was i felt I, at a certain point i felt trapped and uh out of the blue um i was looking for a sign i guess a sign from god or something <laughs> that, that said this was time to do something out of the blue um one of the band members um who lived in Missoula, mm -hmm. got arrested. Oh. And subsequently, I didn't know really anything about it, but it really blew up on Facebook. And it also, uh, one of the local news outlets, not you guys, which I respect, you guys sure. didn't bother picking up on this nonsense. Mm -hmm. But somebody else did, and they, once, once it gets in the paper that your band name, mm -hmm. and then something happened, it doesn't really matter if I could sue somebody sure. for liable or whatever. Once, once your brand on the internet is going to be forever linked to some, you know, incident, a very controversial. And I don't discuss whatever happened because I don't live there. Right. I don't. I was not involved in the personal life of my members any more than a business owners responsible for the personal life of his employees. Um, I, you know, I, I found that, well, this wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but if there was ever an opportunity or to, to, to step away from this, you know, mm -hmm. uh, now is the time, you know. Yeah. And so I, I did. I, 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 and I didn't know what my life would mean or what I would do, but I knew I would go home and be a dad. Yeah. And, um, and then COVID hit. <laughs> right. And then, and then one's got to really got all the time in the world to sit down and think about what you're going to do next. Mm -hmm. um, and if you sit and decide not to do nothing, you're not going to feel guilty because we're all supposed to just right. camp out for a year. <laughs> But I, I put together a, a group with some local guys mm -hmm. and some friends, and we go out uh, when we can and uh, and just.
play play Cash and Merle Haggard and Old Elvis and mm -hmm. just all this stuff that I love. And this is the Merle Travis. Band. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. And you know, by doing that, people say, "Well, is it a vanity thing? Do you want to be like the the show?" And it's like, you know, first of all, I've I've done this long enough. I I, I have every right to do that and say yes. Well, but the reason I did it was because no one can take my name, and and and. If anything happens, I'm responsible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's my name now. Mm -hmm. So w w whether a, 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 another band member, you know, has a, you know, crisis or a problem, it doesn't really necessarily reflect on me. Yeah. Um, by having a band name, it was like the band did this, you know, mm -hmm. and where I could say, you know, I could disavow, I, I disavow whatever that was, you know. I, 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 but like I say, I, I'm, I was not involved, so I can't personally comment right. or, you know, discuss it because sure. it wasn't, you know, but, but yeah, I got to find out about the media mm -hmm. and I got to find out about cancel culture <laughs> and I got to find out about bots and fake profiles oh, yeah. and people that get on your page and say yeah. terrible things. Yeah. And you got to be cool with yourself. You got to yeah. be okay. You got to not let that bother you. Yeah and realize that it's the times we're living in. Now, when I saw you play mm -hmm. in Great Falls a few weeks ago at the yeah. Celtic Cowboy, you were telling me that uh, you got an interesting call from back east. Oh, I did, yeah. Uh, tell, yeah. tell us about that. I still get calls periodically, people <laughs> asking me questions, and this guy want, wanted me wanted me to put the band back together, and he's he's got a theater out in Connecticut. Okay. And Connecticut's so far away, it might as well be in England. I drove <laughs> to Connecticut once, right. and uh, it's far. Um, but he wanted me to open up for uh, Billy Bob Thornton, <laughs> who's got a musical act. Right. Okay. And I, I get offers like that every now and then. You know, people ask if I'm still available to do that. Um, and as flattering as, as it is to be offered that, you know, um, I think, uh, you know, I'm at the place in my life right now, right where I want to be. You know, I, I enjoy being here with my family. I enjoy playing the local mm -hmm. places, going out to Cascade and playing the 4th of July mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, the, some of the other stuff I do around here. It's fantastic. That's really all, all I need. I played in Stanford the other night, right next to the highway. Yeah. And those people were a great audience. Oh, yeah. A great audience, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I missed that. That problem was is when I got hooked up with a booking agency, they started saying, oh, this is, you know, these are small-time gigs around Montana. We need to get you back east. Well, you know, if you only play once or twice a year, you can't develop a real big following. Right. Um, and I neglected my fan base back home. And, uh, you know, when I, I found, you know, when I came back and started playing again, there's a whole new generation of young people that weren't around for the Cold Hard Cash show. Mm -hmm. They were too young, yeah. you know? Right. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, now's the time to, uh, you know, just stay, stay around here. I don't even want to go more than 100 miles from, from here. Yeah. Um, I, I just love playing around this area. Maybe the owner of the Celtic Cowboy or someone from the Stanford Bar can, can call Billy Bob Thornton and say, we yeah, want you, you to open here. for Merle Travis. Yeah, come here. <laughs> I think Billy Bob would actually love it. And I yeah. would have loved to have met him because he's a very, very, right. I enjoy his work. It's, uh, it's fun. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've gotten a lot of really interesting offers over the years. I got asked to do all sorts of things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now it's just nice to be asked to do a car show, <laughs> you know. Well, Merle Travis Peterson, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Tim. It's been a pleasure. We'll look for you out, uh, out and about throughout okay. Montana. All right. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to our conversation with Great Falls musician Merle Travis Peterson. He was the founder of the Cold Hard Cash Show, a Johnny Cash cover band, which made an appearance in 2008 on Late Night with David Letterman. You can follow his latest group, the Merle Travis Band, on Facebook. Next time on McGonagall's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections. To be this far down the road in a, you know, in a business and a collaboration with five guys who all have a voice and that there's still like really genuine respect you know, amongst the five of us and uh, that we're still creating together. It's, it's a big deal. Jeff Ament, the Montana-born bassist of Pearl Jam, has a new album and new artwork to go along with his ongoing passion for skateboarding and desire to get back on tour with one of the most successful rock and roll bands of all time. We welcome your feedback and story and guest ideas. Look for McGonagall's Chronicles on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Tim McGonagall.